Well, welcome to Mosaic. Uh, we are in week two of a series called God and Sex. And I told you last week that our YouTube views for this live stream and sermon would be the highest of any that we've had to date, and I was correct. So if any of you uh, were thinking of wagering me on that, you would have lost. And I expect today uh, to be the same. Uh, we're going to keep our teens in the service uh, today, and um, our kids are downstairs So today. So uh, you guys can jump ahead to, to our first slide. Uh, I, I want to give you a um, little recap of our, our, uh, our sermon from last week and a little bit of, of logistics, so to speak, about this series. This series is different than any other. Thank you very much. Uh, this series is different than any other one that we have done up to this point. Uh, we normally, if you're new, welcome. We're super glad you're here. I uh, hope you enjoyed the time you interacted with your section. We believe in building community at Mosaic. Uh, we normally, about five minutes into a sermon, take a break and have some lighthearted discussion questions about the topic that we're preaching on. We will not be doing that today. We will not be doing that uh, during this series, nor will we be talking about this topic in our small groups. And some of that is because there's a lot of controversial stuff that's tearing apart churches, and uh, we just want to be really gracious in the way that we approach this topic, and it's also a sensitive topic. We are not going to ask you to share uh, personal, vulnerable things uh, with people you're sitting next to uh, in church that you just met, though I always want to say um, our leaders at Mosaic are available to you to talk with you, and it is really important uh, to talk with people that are helping disciple you when it comes to uh, the topic of sex. Uh, last week, week one, we talked about how Jesus meets you in your sexual brokenness. And I'd really encourage you to catch up on that sermon if you missed it. Uh, we have a Mosaic Church of Grand Rapids on YouTube, as well as uh, wherever you find podcasts, you can find us there uh, as well. But this, this promise that Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, all who are heavy laden, that promise is for everyone. It's for you, it's for me, it's for anyone on the spectrum of sexuality. We all have our sexual brokenness. I shared quite a bit about my own in last week's sermon, and I will pepper that in uh, today as well. We want you to know, those listening, and if you have friends in your head, that there's space for everyone at Mosaic, and there's space for everyone in the church. Uh, people were drawn to Jesus. We looked at the woman in Mark 5 that was hemorrhaging. She had her own sort of sexual brokenness for 12 years, and she was shunned by her community, and she would not have been allowed to uh, be near people. She would not have been allowed to touch people, and yet she was drawn to Jesus through a crowd, and she touched him in order to be healed. There was something about Jesus that drew people to himself. And, and it's a beautiful, beautiful promise to all of us. We also talked last week about how we're not all going to agree on this subject, particularly as we, as we go into the realm of human sexuality, as we talk about LGBTQ+, and, and what the Bible says, and what that looks like in the struggle for those that carry that burden, it's particularly Christians who are trying to figure out uh, their attractions in the Bible and, and, and the, the, the many uh, harmful ways that the church has, has handled this subject. And 
if, if you're not aware of the debate and the dialogue out there, and you're not up to speed on, on the blogosphere and the bookosphere and the podcastosphere, um, it's a huge debate. And denominations are splitting over this. Churches are leaving denominations over this. And my prayer for Mosaic is that we stay united. We stay united as a church. And unity does not mean agreement. We often think unity means we all have to agree. That's not, that's not what unity means. Unity means uh, I can respect that. I can get behind that. Oh, there's, there's nuances to this that um, I can see the heart behind it and I can see where it's coming from from Scripture. And I do believe that we'll be able to make it through this uh, and, and stay united. And we will next week particularly be focusing in on the, the topic of human sexuality. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and then lastly, it's really important uh, for our teens and our new Christians, our young adults, to learn a biblical framework of sex in their life. And, and what I often fear happens in the church nowadays is churches are so afraid to go near the S word uh, because if they do, you know, it's, it's the debate about LGBTQ+. And, um, you know, the, the, the vast, and if they're afraid people are going to leave their church or they're afraid they're going to get into trouble. And, and that is a tr real fear, trust me. I approach this with trepidation. I'm, I'm prepping the sermons and I'm going, why am I doing this to myself? Like, I literally get to choose what we preach on. <laughs> and yet, here I am, just like diving into the, the, the shark-infested waters. Um, but, but for my story of discipleship, if it were a pie chart and, and all the topics that affected my discipleship, uh, the vast majority of that pie chart, you know, the big percentage would be in the area of sex. And it's a subject that the church talks very little about. And I think for many of us, the biggest area of the pie chart is sex. And that's why on YouTube, our views are the highest on the sermon and they will, they will continue to be uh, on this series. And so it's really, really important that we talk about it. And I do think it's important that sometimes we're able to even set aside the LGBTQ plus uh, conversation, controversy, and talk about a framework theologically of sex so that our teens and our new Christians, those that have been baptized recently, that have said, I'm repenting of my sin, I'm following Jesus, that, that, that we're able to demonstrate what that looks like from Scripture. And, and I joked with someone, I said, at least I want to give you a multiple choice, okay? At least, at least I want you to have a choice on there that's from the Bible. Uh, you're getting it from Google. You're, you know, if you're in school, you're getting it from your friends at school. You're learning from sex in all these places. Every TV show you watch, every song you listen to is teaching you about sex. And we talked last week about a pretty animalistic view of sex, this, this sort of this idea that I just do whatever I want, whenever I want, to whoever I want. And I want to at least give you a biblical option in, in your discipleship to challenge you with. And I, I think that's really important. And it was for my story. Some of this comes out of my story. Uh, falling into pornography in middle school and high school, being a Christian who loved Jesus, that didn't want to look at porn, but my church wasn't talking about it. They were afraid to talk about it. I think they were very naive. Uh, and we do that in church today where we just kind of go, eh, let's just pretend nobody's dealing with any of this stuff. So we won't talk about it. And if they had talked about it and at a young age, somebody would reached their hand out to me to help me, um, I think my life would have been very different. And even the, the, the struggles that I carried into my marriage, uh, I, I wouldn't have had because I would have had help at a young age. So the earliest that we can get to this, uh, the better. But, all right, first, uh, as, we, as we enter today, we're talking about God's design for sex. And I want to start at uh, the meat aisle of the grocery store. Now, uh, I wish that I had had a picture of a big top grocery store 
in Grand Rapids, where John and I go uh, every time we have a church cookout. If you've never been to Big Top, you need to go. Uh, it's, the, it's the most fabulous meat uh, market I've ever seen. Uh, they have everything you'd ever want to eat and a lot of stuff uh, you'd never want to eat. If you, if you want um, chicken feet, um, pig feet, uh, turkey necks, you can find it there. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible. Like every, every type of uh, thing you could eat, you could buy there. Every kind of fish, I think, in the, in the sea is out. They have this amazing like Hispanic seasoned section of meat where everything is is just like bright orange spiced. It just looks amazing. It's awesome. This is just a generic picture uh, from Google Images of uh, the, the meat aisle at the grocery store. And unless, unless you're vegan or vegetarian, uh, you, you frequent this section of the grocery store often. And when we approach it, we look at the meat that's available and we say things like, that piece looks good, that piece looks bad, that piece is too fatty, that piece is too big. That piece is too small. And we analyze these pieces of meat as objects for us to consume. And that's what they are. That's what they are. We analyze these pieces of meat as objects for us to consume. That's their purpose. And when we eat meat, we eat the parts we like and we throw away the rest. If there's grizzle on there that you don't want to eat, you throw it away. If there's a bone in there, you throw it away. If you're just full, you stop eating and you throw it away. If you're like my children and they say, uh, we want hot dogs, we make the hot dogs. And then they say, no, I want chicken nuggets instead. I don't want to eat this. Throw it away. They're like, you said you wanted hot dogs. That's what I made. <laughs> All parents have been there. The point is, these are objects and we consume what we want and then we move on and we throw them away. Now, uh, we've, been, we're gonna, we've been in 1 Corinthians 6 already last week. We're going to continue to be in 1 Corinthians 6 uh, quite a bit throughout this series. I want to show you verses 12 and 13. You're welcome to open to 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20 uh, in your Bible if you want to see kind of all of the context around what we're talking about. But 1 Corinthians 6, it's set in Corinth, which was a city in Greece 2,000 years ago, and it was a very, very sexualized city. Okay, so I'm going to pluck out these quotes. You see some quotations in here. I have the right to do anything you say. And I just want to show you the quotes, and I want you to start thinking about what the sexual mindset was in the first century in Corinth. These are two quotes that were common among Corinthians of the day. One of them was, I have the right to do anything you say. That was a quotation. And the older translations of the Bible didn't put the quotations in, so I think there was some misinterpretation of these texts, and we don't have time to get into all that. But these are quotes of the day that Paul is saying, you say this, but God says this. So one of them was, I have the right to do anything. You hear that today. I mean, verbatim, that, that, that would be on a, a poster that someone would hold at, some, at some, any kind of rally. This is like American cultural value 101. You have the right to do anything. I saw a Burger King uh, billboard yesterday, and it said something like, uh, royalty should never go hungry, and then it said, you rule under it. <laughs> so, and then a big picture of a Whopper, right? This is American marketing 101. You rule. And essentially, when we go to follow Jesus, we have to decide. That is the ultimate decision. When you say, I'm repenting of my sins, I'm making Jesus Lord of my life, you're deciding, do I rule, like the Burger King sign says, or does Jesus rule in my life? Is he my king, or am I my king? 
Okay, so I have the right to do anything. Sounds very American. It was very Corinthian as well. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. This one had to do with what is the stomach for? It's for eating. So when you're hungry, go and eat. Sexual connotation to this phrase. What are your sexual drive for? It's for having sex. So when you feel like having sex, go have sex. I have the right to do anything. And when I feel like having sex, I'm going to go have sex. There was a phrase that we see in ancient writing, to Corinthianize was the phrase. So to be sexually immoral was to Corinthianize. You're being a Corinthianizer. It was kind of like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. There was a reputation about this city that was very, very sexual, just like Las Vegas, right? or, or, or you know, whatever it may be, you get the idea. This town was known for, for, for very, what we would consider debaucherous forms of sex. Uh, a few generations before Paul in the first century, uh, the temple of Aphrodite, who still would have been, Aphrodite still would have been a, a popular goddess of the day in Paul's day, but we have archaeological evidence that there was thousands of prostitutes that were employed at the temple of Aphrodite. And, and picture that for a moment. Uh, we're, you know, kind of all over the place today when it comes to sex, but we're not this bad. We're, you come to Mosaic to worship, and we sing some songs, we hear a sermon. Well, that was one option. Or you could go to the Temple of Aphrodite, and you could have sex with a prostitute. And there were thousands of them, and this is, that was church. Okay, that's Corinthian. That's, that was the megachurch. That was the megachurch in Corinth, in, in Corinth. Okay, so this is the culture of Corinthians that these phrases are set in. And I just mentioned this because I think to me, there's some comfort to me in knowing that it was pretty bad back then. It was pretty bad back then. I gave the stat last week, uh, match.com survey, 35% of millennials said they've had interview sex. It's, it's this idea that uh, I'll have, uh, before we go to see our movie, before we go on a date, before the first date, uh, let's have sex first to make sure we're compatible because, you know, I don't want to go to Applebee's with you and, and like, drop an extra $20 uh, on the meal if, like, we're not compatible sexually. So uh, this is what, where we're at. You know, this, and that's pretty normal, pretty common um, lifestyle among, among many young adults. And, and kind of all ages of adults, you see it all over the place. Um, I get some comfort that back then it wasn't Little House on the Prairie. I think we read the Bible like, oh, these commands are really restrictive, but that makes sense because back then it was really old-fashioned. Uh, it was not old-fashioned in Corinth. They, they were, it was pretty wild. This is not archaic or uh, irrelevant instruction that we're going to be looking at today. In, in 1 Corinthians. So back to the meat market. This is not God's design for sex, okay? This is not God's design for sex. And part, I think we all know that this is the way our world views sex. I mean, as a guy, it's really easy to, to pick up on. I, I, can, I have memories of middle school, locker room, the way guys talk about girls. Uh, you know, it's, it's everything that you think it is and worse. I mean, the, 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 the meat... Um, the way of describing and viewing women, um, it's just like being at the meat market and going, that one is too big, that one is too thin, too much, you know, it's like, it, and, and, and we talked about that last week where Satan wants us to see sex and other people, men and women and ourselves, as objects like the meat to be consumed and thrown in the trash. You eat the Burger King burger, you throw the wrapper in the trash. I mentioned my lovely water bottle, still with me another week. Uh, this water bottle is an object 
This is not a person. Uh, it is absolutely an object. And it's starting to wear down. You're not supposed to wash them in the dishwasher. Whoever invented that rule, I'm going to wash everything in the dishwasher. And uh, yeah, just, that's just how it's going to be. And if it melts, it melts. So I think that's why my spring doesn't work anymore. But I like the spring. I, I like to put it on my belt loop and walk around. I look like a dork, but it frees up my hands. Very efficient. I like efficiency. The spring doesn't work anymore. It's very sad. It leaks. I'll drink from it. It'll like squirt me. Like, why did you squirt me? This thing is on its last leg. I need to throw it away, but I'm too cheap. I need to get a new one, but I'll probably end up doing the same thing to it because I'll put it in the dishwasher. Uh, but we are not to treat humans like this. I've been married in June. It's going to be 19 years, you guys. That's crazy. That's coming up, right? You, yeah, you can clap for that. Standing ovation for that. <laughs> My wife would say the same thing. We've been through it, you guys. We've been through it. We, we've had a challenging marriage. We've learned what love is, and we have a beautiful marriage, but it's been hard. And you don't move on to the next one when the one you have in a marriage covenant, when start, you feel like, oh, well, it's, not, it's not doing what I thought it would. It's not, you know, it's, if it was an object, I could throw it away. I could use it, and I could move on. Let's all, I think we all can agree no matter where you're at, no matter if you're watching on, on, online or if you're a Christian or not, if you are the most like, I don't know, I'm, not, I'm just going to stop there. It doesn't matter where, where we're at when it comes to how we view sex, we can all agree that nobody likes to be treated like an object. Nobody likes to be used. Nobody likes to be objectified. That is a major, major, major problem in our culture. And each of us in this room have been treated that way. And it's awful. We've all been treated that way. Some have been treated that way sexually. And there's, there's wounds. There's wounds that we carry from being used sexually. It could be sexual abuse. It could be someone that was playing you, someone that you loved that said they loved you and they moved on. You thought, this was, you thought they were committed to you, but you, you were just the next flavor of the month for them. But there's also non-sexual examples that we can relate to of being used and treated like an object. Have you ever had a boss that treated you like an object? You're just a cog in your boss's machine to produce numbers and money for the, the company. You're, ir, you're, you're interchangeable. You're replaceable. We don't like to be treated as objects. And that's not God's design for our hearts. Most sin, if you get to the bottom of it, if you're talking about stealing or you're talking about the way you treat other people, certainly the way we approach sex, a lot of it has to do with don't treat people like objects. Treat them like whole human beings, which we're going to talk about. I, I mentioned before, this is what pornography teaches us. It teaches our minds to view men and women as objects. This is what casual sex teaches us to treat men and women as objects. So let's go back to our text in 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 15 uh, picks up, and you see this context of prostitution because I just told you some of the, the, the culture in Corinth about the temple of Aphrodite. And um, there wasn't pornography in Corinth. There was a lot of prostitution. This was the, the local um, outlet of casual sex in Corinth. So Verse 15 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Now, when you see prostitution here, he's talking about 
all sex. He's talking about sex here, and he uses prostitution as his local example. This is objectification, and he's giving the solution to objectification here, which is one flesh. We're going to talk about one flesh. So think of it this way. Objectification is one way of viewing sex over here, and the alternative is one flesh. That's the alternative over here, and we're going to talk about what that looks like. But first, um, think about this question. What makes up a human? Okay, so this is, this is a non-threatening question. We're not doing our breakouts today. Uh, but give me a couple of responses to this. What is it that makes up a human? What's, what makes a human a human? What makes you a human? Give me a few things. Feelings? Feelings. Very important. This water bottle does not have feelings. I can make fun of it all I want. And it, it will, it, it'll probably leak, but that's all it'll do. Feelings, good. What else? What makes up a human? Soul. Very good. We have a soul. Yeah. Jake? Reason. We have rational minds. We have reason. So we have feelings. We have a soul. We have reason. Anything else? We're made in the image of God. What a beautiful picture. Genesis 1:27. We're made in the image of God. We're the only part of creation made in the image of God, image bearers of God, wherever we go. If you look at yourself, if you're married, you look at your spouse, if you have kids, you look at your kids, look at your close friends, you know what makes up a human. You know it's all these things. You, you know it's their strengths, it's their weaknesses, it's their insecurities, vulnerabilities. These are all the things that make up a human. Those who are married know that when you got married, you were not marrying a human body. You were not, you were not marrying a body to have sex with. You were marrying a whole person. You're marrying a whole person with all of those things, the feelings, the image of God, the insecurities, the vulnerabilities, the strengths, the weaknesses, the quirks, all of that wrapped up in a whole person. That's why we say the vows we say uh, at a wedding, that, I, that, that I'm going to be committed to you for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, that no matter what happens to you, I'm going to stay committed to you. It's, I'm not marrying your body. I'm not marrying you as an object. I'm marrying all of you. So the idea of one flesh is a whole person and another whole person coming together as one. And it's saying, I will support all of you as a whole person. And I don't have time I could preach on this stuff for, for hours, uh, and I, I can't do that. I have all these in examples of, of what one flesh is, uh, but hope you get the idea. It's a whole person and a whole person committed to each other that I'm going to support all of you. I'm going to support all of you, and I'm going to be committed to all of you. Now, the way Satan wants us to view sex is to view uh, other people. For me as a guy uh, who's straight, it's, it's, he, he wants me to view women as an it or as a that. And that's back to the meat market. Um, and you, you hear that language. Whereas God's view of sex is that all women, my wife included, are people. They're, they're hers and they're a she. They're, they're not an it. And, and men are he's and him's. They're, they're not an it. They're not objects. We are not objects like the water bottle or the meat. And here's the thing too. You aren't an object. And, and, and um, we all can struggle with this in different ways. Uh, but I, I do want to say, um, don't allow 
the opposite sex to treat you like an object to the best of your ability. And that's a part of our culture too. We get lots of attention and validation from sex and from sexual attention, okay? It feels good. It makes us feel loved. And it's, 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 it's a temporary sort of hollowed out, objectified way of getting that attention. Your value is not found in the attention that you can get sexually. That's not where your value lies. Your value lies, what we talked about last week and we'll keep coming back to in this series, you are a child of the Most High God and he loves you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And you are whole in him and no man or woman, whether it's someone you're checking out or is checking you out or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiance or a spouse, no man or woman can make you whole and can fill up your insecurities with love. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that, and that's for all of us, single, married, no matter where we are at. In a one flesh union, it's how you learn what love is. I mentioned last week when I got married, I didn't even know what love was. I thought I did. Love was just infatuation. I still viewed sex. I, I was taught in the church, it was like the Christian view of objectification. So we, we, we talked a little bit about some purity culture stuff last week, and uh, that's a buzzword today, but there was, there was a, a lot of damage that that, that, that did uh, in the sense of teaching, teaching me in my, in my formative years as a Christian, um, putting so much emphasis on sex within marriage that it was such a, this, this I, I didn't understand that sex was not a selfish act, uh, really not that different than pornography. The church was like, don't look at porn, don't have sex with people, just focus all that towards your spouse. Specifically to guys, telling us, you know, focus that, focus that on your wife. Well, let me tell you guys, your wife is not an object. She's a whole person. And, and each person on this planet is not an object, but is a whole person. So when we really understand one flesh, that it's about whole people and supporting all of a whole person, it's not about us, it's about sacrificing for the other person, we start to learn what love actually is. And that's what happened over the 19 years of my marriage, was learning what love actually is. All right, I want to I uh, break down this one flesh picture through scripture, okay? So Genesis 2.24 is one of the first pages of your Bible. It's at the very, very beginning, and it's before sin entered the world. And, uh, you know, you could just kind of look the, the way that lines up. Um, the, you know, theologians, as we read the Bible, we develop our theology, our beliefs about God. Um, Genesis 1 and 2 is a good place to do that because sin hasn't entered the world yet. It's God's ideal. And in God's ideal, he says that's why a man leaves his father and mother, and he's to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is the ideal. In Matthew 19, Jesus has asked about divorce, and he, he goes back to the ideal. He doesn't go back to the Mosaic law. He goes back to the ideal in Genesis, and you can read it on the screen. He just quotes verbatim Genesis 2, 24. Uh, so that's Jesus's ministry. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul is talking about this one flesh relationship, and then he says, he quotes Genesis 2, 24, and then he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. He's saying that 
both now and eternally, Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. And it points us towards Revelation 21, where uh, when Jesus comes back, it is a marriage, and this is the picture of the eternal marriage between Jesus, the groom, and us, the bride. Now, as we look at, as we look at Scripture and we see this framework of this one flesh union, we do see here that in Genesis 2, in Matthew 19 with Jesus describing marriage, and in Ephesians 5, both with Christ in the church now and eternally, that sex is gendered. It's a male and female union within, within marriage. But what straight Christians like to do, and, I, and, and man, I've, you know, I've seen this, you've seen this, we, we raise this really high bar for, I, I would say, maybe the sexual discipleship of gay people. And we point and say, look, sex is gendered, you know, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to talk a lot more about that next week um, and, and, the, and the nuances to, to a really, really complicated, um, really journey, path of, path of discipleship. But what we often miss, we being myself as a straight person and the majority of our population and of Christians, is that the one flesh bar that we're seeing here is so high for straight people, it's uncomfortable even to talk about. And so we don't talk about it. So, and I'm gonna talk about it because I am just a glutton for punishment. Um, we don't talk about the high bar for straight people because m- most of you here are straight. And I, I mean, I, got, I want the church to stay afloat. I don't want you all to get mad at me and leave. So I just won't go there. I just won't talk about it. We're, we're cool to make gay people feel real uncomfortable and alienate them, and really set up what can feel like an impossible situation, uh, because I don't struggle with that, you know, what's wrong with them? Uh, Meanwhile, me and you and the straight Christians, uh, when we look at these texts, we're we're about to get real uncomfortable, and I've heard from several gay friends of mine that are Christians, and are really frustrated, and they're like, yo, why is the church always talking about (laughs) sex between a man and a woman, and yet we have... I'm going to show three passages here that really, really um, are just going to make us straight people feel really uncomfortable. And we have to talk about this because I think this is where some of the divide has come from in the church is some hypocrisy in the way we teach. And we, 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 need, we need this to be an even playing field. So we can't ignore this stuff. This is hard and uncomfortable. And I want to say this too. I'm not going back to purity culture. Um, some of the reason I'm addressing this is because I want to do this for those that are gay or same-sex attracted that are listening to go, okay, if we're going to talk about one flesh, let's talk about one flesh and, and how that relates to all of us. And the bar is so high uh, that I just want to show you what the Bible says and to give you a vision of the why behind God's design and how serious he is about the whole person being loved. We're not looking at your past. Uh, there's not a single person in here that's going to match up to, to these scriptures are going to say. Uh, so we're not looking at the past. You're not damaged. You're whole in Jesus. We believe in grace. We want to look at the future and say, what's the path of discipleship that I'm going to aim for? And it's going to be muddy and it's going to be messy. So get ready. All right. First Corinthians 6, 16, we already read this, but you, you probably missed this. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute as one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. We just talked about what one flesh is. And let me just throw this out there. Uh, don't quote me on this, but I'm just quoting Paul on this. 
Paul just said, anyone you've had sex with, you formed a marriage with, okay? That's what, that's what that says. It's, I mean, if, if you just let me know if I'm, what I'm missing there. Um, anybody you've had sex with, you formed a marriage with. Now, this is such a muddy mixture of grace and truth with all of this. And what we often do is we'll give ourselves the grace, ah, grace, and we point the finger of truth at the other person, right? The truth I'm going to give to those gay people. But for me, I can't, I can't measure up to this. So we'll just chalk this one up to grace. We have to stop doing that. We have to stop doing that and realize it is a muddy mixture of grace and truth for all of us as we try to navigate some really, really difficult things. Now, some context here helps a little. In the first century, you would have gotten married around the age of 14-ish, once you hit puberty, once you could start having babies, you were, you were put together in a marriage. Uh, marriages would have been arranged by your family. There was a very high mortality rate, a high death rate for infants and for moms. And it was important that you had kids uh, for many, many reasons. We don't have time to get into, uh, but people died and you were going to try to have as many kids as you could as early as you could. So there really weren't teenage years. Uh, you hit puberty, you started having kids and, and I mean... The, the, the man was already learning the trade of the dad and would be a full-time worker. And, and there was a very large, elaborate, extended family structure to support uh, all of this. And it's, it's even why you see some specific instructions in the Bible about social protections for women within that relationship so that they wouldn't be abused like they were throughout the Roman uh, culture. But my point is, these are very different circumstances. Uh, I, I certainly am not saying go back to the person that you had sex with when you were 16, if that's part of your story, and like marry them or act like you're married to them, right? I'm not, that's not the point here. The point is, can we look at the theological design of what God's getting at with the one flesh relationship? Um, the design is for our future, not to condemn us for the past. So if you're uncomfortable, it gets worse, okay? <laughs> we got more, <laughs> Um, Jesus talks about marriage, uh, divorce, and remarriage, and um, he's being tested. He's being asked by these religious leaders, these Pharisees, what his stance is on this. And he replies, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Whew. So verbatim, on the, 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 the initial reading of this text says, if, if you got a divorce, unless the reason was the other person was unfaithful, and then you remarried, that's considered adultery. You're like, wow, that's really uncomfortable, right? Well, I'm giving you some context to help us understand some of this, right? Um, and how people have wrestled with these texts. In the first century, we do know, because there's these huge commentaries by Jewish rabbis about how they interpreted the Old Testament. There were two schools of thought. One was by a rabbi named Hillel, and his, his was, you could divorce, this was only for men, you could divorce your wife for any reason you wanted. There's records of a wife who burned the husband's bread, and uh, that was enough for a divorce. And Hillel was good with that, and the school of Hillel was good with that. There was another rabbi named Shimel, 
opinion is was the conservative camp and the way these are interpreting the Old Testament on divorce, and he said it's adultery only. So if there was adultery happening, you know, then then you can have a divorce. But this was a trap question. This was like a political debate question. They're trying to get Jesus, which side are you on? He takes the more conservative side. But what you see him doing here, what he's really doing is he goes back to the ideal one flesh design. So he says here that Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because why? Because your hearts were hard. And, and, and it was a concession. So this idea of the divorce commands were not, it's not God's design. It's not God's ideal. The ideal is a one flesh relationship. He goes all the way back to Genesis 2, 24. You might be curious about the polygamy in the Old Testament. You ever read that? That's confusing, isn't it? To explain that to your kids. Why does Abraham and David have all these wives and Moses has multiple wives? Again, we see these as concessions in the Old Testament, not the ideal. And Jesus goes back to the ideal, Genesis 2, 24. It was the ideal uh, in creation. It's the ideal for now. One man, one woman in this one flesh relationship. But again, muddy mixture of grace and truth. We've applied this verse legislatively to say that abused women can't divorce their husbands. And, and the church um, has abused women by saying that. There is, in 1 Corinthians 7, we won't go there. There is one other exception Paul gives uh, to divorce. But, but my point is we disagree on the way that we interpret these passages, and yet they are right here, right in Scripture. You think things can't get any worse, but they do. I've got one more. Oh, but first I've got this one. Um, right after Jesus says, verses 8 and 9, we would be like, oh, he can't really mean that. That's, that must be, a, that must be a, a interpretive, that must be an error in interpretation uh, of the Greek or something. Well, the disciples answered, if that's true... If we can't divorce, uh, you know, for any reason we want, if that's the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Uh, it was as severe then as it sounds now, you know. So we have to take in the severity of what Jesus is saying, what the Bible's saying about one flesh. Um, lastly, this one is one we use a lot. And uh, so again, I, I wrote a book. Uh, it helps men overcome pornography and other sexual temptations. And, and we talk about this one a lot. Uh, when, when Jesus says, um, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And you go, okay, so if I look at someone lustfully, like sexually with desire, I, um, it's, it's different than being attracted. So attraction and lust are two different things, uh, but, but lusting is the intentional objectification of, of another person. Uh, Jesus says, it's, you've committed adultery in your heart. I mean, th <laughs> think about the muddy grace and truth that we all are dealing with at this point. But the point is that God is so serious about this one flesh design that he wants us to make the necessary sacrifices to live it out. The examples here Jesus uses are extreme. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to go into, uh, it's, what does he say? I'm paraphrasing here. It's better to lose these parts of your body than be thrown into hell. Um, it's, it's, it's obviously an extreme metaphor. Please don't do that. Please don't uh, cut off your, your hand or, or gouge out your eyes. But it shows that he's really serious about this one flesh relationship. He's serious about us not objectifying other people. And he's, he's serious about us seeing people as whole people. Um, this sacrificial love is different than everything is permissible for me. It's different. And I, I want to say to straight Christians, take a long look in the mirror at these passages before sticking your finger out at gay people. 
And I'm not sticking my finger out at you. Again, you're like, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> um, I don't have to preach on this. We can preach on anything we want. Um, I, I've already explained why I think this is really important and why specifically I want to really challenge you as straight Christians. Um, because I, I, want my, I want my gay brothers and sisters, uh, you know, some who are, who, who, are, who are really all over the place on, on, on their interpretations of these texts, but time and time again I hear, why don't I hear straight Christians talking about these texts? You just point the finger at me, you point the finger at me, and look at these. They're, they're all pointing straight back at you. And we, we just have to look at these with grace. We're made whole in Jesus, and he loves us, and we have, we're, we're not earning our salvations, but we have repented, and we've made him the Lord of our lives. And, and we've said, I, I, God, I want, I want to pursue your ideal, and there's going to be a lot of bumps along the way. We need to allow bumps for other people, not just bumps uh, for ourselves. I want to close... Uh, with these passages here uh, from uh, 1 Corinthians 6 that we've been in and, and Romans 12. Um, and worship team, you guys can, you guys can come back up. Uh, you are not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's how this passage ends in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Uh, that's probably one of the most anti-American statements ever. You are not your own. Okay? You are not your own again, back to the, the American statement, I can do anything that I want. I am my own. I am the ruler of my life. Uh, when you first accept Christ, you're a baby Christian. I don't expect baby Christians to get all this stuff and live all this stuff out. And, and, and the Holy Spirit's going to lead us as we go, and we're going to grow, and we're going to have different levels of maturity. But part of our path of discipleship is this, is to say, my body is a part of my discipleship. My body's a part of my discipleship. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have been conformed by the pattern of this world. And we have to remind each other that we are not citizens of this world. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is with Jesus. I told you about my friend and I last week, uh, and he's sharing about sexual attractions he has that he's frustrated with. He's like, I just want to be, fr- I just want to be attracted to my wife. And I'm like, dude, I just want to be attracted to my wife too. We're, we're in the same boat. We remind each other we're not citizens of this world. We're not citizens of this world. Like there's so much pressure to live sexually like the world lives, but we aren't citizens of this world. And I do think that's one of those pendulum swings. We've gone way too far. Like my background, I've joked about it a little bit. It was like, don't listen to secular music. (laughs) You know, it wasn't as, we weren't like burning books and cassette tapes and stuff, but we were, we were close to that. We were close to that, but we swung so far the other direction. We just like, We'd forget that we're not citizens of this world and our sexual lives, our sexual ethics, the way we view people are different and we're trusting God. We're just trusting God. We're saying, God, this is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult because I want to just do when my stomach's hungry, I want to eat. I want to do whatever I want. I want to trust you, God, that you know what you're doing both in my life and in society around me. And it doesn't mean he's going to reward you or hook you up with some amazing marriage or sex life. That's the hard part about this. You're not doing it for a reward. You're doing it out of worship. 
that your actual body, your physical body, your sexual body, you're offering it as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they'd kill an animal and they'd offer it as a sacrifice. Our path of discipleship and worship says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. It is a sacrifice of worship, not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. I do have one more slide. I didn't know where to put it, so I put it here. Um, I talked a lot about pornography last week, this week. I'm not sure. I think we might hit it more in week four of this series. But can you all do me a favor? Um, I'd like everybody to pull out their phone. Just do this for me. Uh, everyone pull out your phone and just take a picture of the screen for me on your phone. Because um, I, want, I want everyone to have this, and nobody's going to do it um, just like on their own if you guys don't do it all together. So... Um, this is two pieces of software that I use on my phone. I get we're all over the place, but pornography is a huge thing, both for you and for your kids. Um, these are two uh, bits of software that I use to keep myself accountable from falling back into pornography. So the first one, uh, both of these, uh, I do have an affiliate code for. I do some of this side uh, on the side as I'm part-time here at the church. With uh, So this is part of that. Um, the first one is a keyword software that sends keywords you're searching for and that are in your articles to an accountability partner. Mine gets sent to my wife. And the second one is uh, screen accountability. So it's actually seeing what's on your screens and it's sending it to your, uh, your accountability partner, my wife and some other accountability partners get mine. Uh, these codes get you a month free. And we're gonna come back to this, but I wanna give you some tools uh, in, in, the time, in the time that we have. Um, okay, so we made it through week two, um, and I want you to know uh, I'm intentionally not taking the easy way out <laughs> on, this, on this series, um, and I want you to know that I am available to talk with you more uh, about this stuff. You are not alone. You are not alone, and uh, next week, we're going to talk about human sexuality and uh, it's 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 gonna be pray just pray pray for me pray for us pray for us as a church my my hope and prayer is that we can be a church that genuinely loves everyone that it's a place where all the sexually broken can come and find Jesus uh, and it's 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 not easy to do when it seems like it's just not easy to do um, and so we're gonna do that and and, and trying to hold on to scripture and see what that see what that looks like next week 